Floorboards to shingles. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. You can call us right now with your home improvement question, your do-it-yourself dilemma at 1-888-MONEYPIT, 888-666-3974. And of course, you especially want to pick up the phone if you own and love old houses because you are listening to a very special broadcast of the Money Pit today. We are on location in Auburndale, Massachusetts. We are at the site of a major renovation and the set for the current season wrap of this old house on PBS. For more than 30 years, this talented team has taken on challenge after challenge with expertise and confidence and the outcome is dozens of happy homeowners. Allison and Ravine Sharma, they are just so thrilled. You know, They bought this house last year and decided to live in it for a while to see exactly what changes they needed and wanted to make and in the process they happened to apply for and just so luckily were chosen for this season's This Old House and it's probably a good thing. It was a very good thing because some of the issues that came up could only be resolved by the talented and experienced team they got when they signed up for This Old House. Coming up this hour we're going to have details about the heating options that were used in the project including tips on radiant floor heat and a hydronic heating system. Plus, we're going to talk to the show's producer about what it's like to put a major renovation on TV year after year. But we're going to start off with the original cast member who is an expert craftsman and has done more of these redos than anyone else on the team. Here to tell us about some of the details of the project is This Old House Master Carpenter, Norm Abram. Welcome, Norm. It's always so nice to have Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Now, you really had your hands full with this place, starting with the structure, didn't you? We were making some major changes, and we had to make some big openings, so we had to add a lot of structure. We had height issues that we had to deal with because the house had low ceilings and we wanted the new spaces to sort of blend in. So it it was a trick. And how difficult was it? I mean, I know you guys added a new steel beam. How do you actually get it into the house when you're situated, you know, with two different grades? The back is way lower than the front. How do you manage all Uh, of that? The beauty of the word crane. (laughs) (laughs) Crane and concrete pumpers were key to this project because you couldn't get around the house. Right, it's a tough site. You had to go over it. Up and over. Yeah. And, um, you know, we have some great scenes in the show where... You see the beam coming over the house and Nervous coming neighbors. down. And then Tom, <laughs> yeah, Tommy's got it. Well, neighbors don't have to worry too much, but our homeowners certainly have to worry. And and Tom's got it all set up, and it just you know slides right into place. Now, you did a lot of work here with insulated concrete forms, a really impressive technology, essentially big foam blocks that get filled with concrete. Particularly impressive is how we don't really see those anymore. Right. I mean, we, we had used them once before, and they're a great way to build. Um, because you not only get your foundation, you get good insulation, you get a concrete foundation that the insects are certainly not going to get mm-hmm. into. Right. And the, and the foam blocks are structured in such a way that they have built-in nailing and fastening strips. So on the inside, you don't have to fur the walls out or put oh, strapping. Fantastic. You can screw the drywall right onto the uh, insulation. It automatically spaces out for it's you. It's spaced out every eight inches. And they even have a place where they don't put it so you can hog out a little bit if you want to run electrical wires. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. How do you run plumbing through it and that sort of thing? Well, plumbing would be an issue. We ran stuff in the ceiling, but in the walls, they they set the, because the foam is like two and a quarter, two and a half inches deep, you can get deep enough in there to meet building code requirements without having to plate 
for your electrical wires. That was very deliberate. And on the outside, we did stucco here because because of the grade, a lot of the foundation is exposed. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to match that. So there you can just put the wire right on the, uh, on the foam and do your stucco job. That's amazing. I mean, it really does make a quite difficult job, much more easy to achieve. Right. It's, it's the cost is about the same as a poured concrete foundation, mm-hmm. but they'll come and set it all up and make all your window openings and everything. In fact, I'm thinking about building a new workshop area for myself at my house, and I'm convinced <laughs> that I'm going to use ICFs for all the walls. Norm Abram joins us, the master carpenter on TV's This Old House, about the amazing transformation in this Auburndale neighborhood. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to ask you about some of the insect challenges you had here. I know you had termites, you had carpenter ants. So many of, of our listeners across the country deal with those every single year. Maybe you can give us some tips on how to keep those guests away. You're listening to The Money Pit on air and online at moneypit.com. We'll have more with Norm Abram in just a few minutes, but later we're going to take your calls. Want to know where to spend your home improvement dollars in 2011? Give us a call at 1-888-MONEYPIT. Tune to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Welcome back to this very special edition of the Money Pit. We are coming to you from the banks of the Charles River in Auburndale, Massachusetts, where another successful This Old House renovation is about to wrap up. All right. Well, we're so lucky to still have Norm Abram standing by with us to finish filling in all of the details that went into this major undertaking to really transform Sort of a lackluster home into really just the gem of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Welcome back, Norm. Yeah, thanks. But it is a beautiful neighborhood full with lots and lots of trees and shade and moisture, which, of course, wood-destroying insects just love. <laughs> they do. And you had some challenges here with termites and carpenter ants. Tell us about that. Yeah, the biggest uh, place we found right off was when we took the substandard sun porch off. We, it was clear that it had to go. It wasn't part of the original house. and you know, It the looked home. like it was being held up with toothpicks. It was. It was just about. It just really about. That's all that was left after the insects. It looked like it did not belong there. And we opened up the corner and, you know, out came the carpenter ants. And you're right, you know, the trees hanging over mm-hmm. it, right. the moisture, the, the windows weren't the greatest. There was probably water infiltration. And, you know, as soon as you bring water to the picture and you mm-hmm. got that great wood there having a feast. On the front of the house... It was, the grade was high, it was exposed to the dirt, it was too close to the ground. Another case where the insects so just love it. So if you want to it. create a situation where insects would just, just love to be here, this house was it. Everything was done wrong. Soil was covering wood and moisture and leaks and everything. So how did you get rid of them? Well, the first line of defense is that we took away all those bad things, the, the grade being mm-hmm. too high, and, you know, they probably could still use a little pruning of the trees and so forth here. Um, you know, in the old days, we would treat them pretty harshly with strong chemicals. These days, people don't want that, so we use a nesting system. Mm-hmm. You, you can do some treatment to the timber before you put it in, then, but the nesting system is really the key, and that's the thing. You want to have a professional come in, set it up, have it maintained, and, you know, do all the things you want to do to keep them out of the house. Mm -hmm. Now, you're talking about the baiting systems where they put the containers in the soil, wait for the termites to show up, and then do the switch out with the uh, inserts that have actually the termiticide in it. They grab that, take it back back to the the nest, nest, 
share it with her friends and family, and that takes care of their problem. Yeah, that's the best way to do it. Absolutely. But, I mean, really, once you tackle that issue, you've got a good head start to really keep it under control. Yeah, and I would advise anybody these days, if you're in those environments and damp areas where you could have a lot of insect problems, you know, bring someone in at the very beginning and, and deal with that. Mm-hmm. We also like to... For others, some of the other insects and even mold issues, we often will use a borate spray, too, on the, uh, on the framework. Now, the front of the house is really unusual. You guys built a beautiful pergola system that I understand Roger has planted some wonderful climbing vines on that will eventually work into, you know, beautiful greenery magic. But now for that system, I mean, that's adding more wood to the front. Did you go with traditional wood or did you use... No, you use, there you would use materials that are resistant to to the termites. Even the, the way the footings are set up on those particular mm-hmm. posts, they, they're kept above the grade so that, you know, you're not going to get the insect infiltration. They're already treated um, and, you know, they should go on forever. They'll last forever. And it really is a beautiful addition to the home. I mean, it really is a standout feature that sets apart one beautiful home from the next. It really does make the house stand out. Well, it needed it. The house needed something to make it more attractive from the street. Mm-hmm. Now, the amazing amount of color uh, has been put on the walls uh, as part of the process. Just gorgeous. But I understand that you chose a very environmentally friendly system for doing that. Right. Where, you know, everybody wants to use low VOC paints these days. It's a hot term. Right. And they're a little tricky to put on. Mm-hmm. I've used some myself. But the first time I used it, I was really impressed because the smell was gone. Mm-hmm. It, it right. wasn't sticking. You know, you always tell latex doesn't smell that awful, but it does get to you after a while. This is very low key. You do have there is a learning curve to putting it on, and the particular company we use has a great range of colors. And for years we've been talking about let's go see and how how they make paint. So we finally went to see how paint is manufactured. It's not the most exciting I'm thing sure. in the world, I got to tell you. <laughs> it's, but it's kind of like waiting for paint to dry. Than watching the paint dry. Exactly. Right? <laughs> but I did learn some things. Is that paint? You know, you when you get a gallon of paint, you think that it's made by, you know, measuring. By volume. Mm-hmm. Right. Like a recipe. Right. But it's by weight. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because you can get more accurate measurements. And the things that go into it, like uh, aluminum dioxide and, you know, for tr- to give good coverage and mm-hmm. so forth. And the key is really good ingredients. And then colors. Uh, I never realized that the average paint company only uses about 16 different colors to make their paints. A lot of companies now are expanding their color range. So as you add another color spectrum the range of colors you can make gets exponentially greater. Mm-hmm. Well, you'll be able to see those colors in this edition of This Old House. Norm, it's an amazing job, as always. Congratulations on wrapping up another great project. Thank you. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show, coming to you from the current This Old House project in Auburndale, Massachusetts. Let's get to those phones now and take a quick call. Leslie, who's next? All right, we've got Mary in our nation's capital, which, of course, has lots of old houses there. Mary's got a question about asbestos. Hi, Tom and Leslie. Um, I have a question about my older home here in Washington. Um, I have steam heat and asbestos insulation around the pipes in the basement. We really don't know how to get the asbestos removed correctly. I've heard it can be dangerous. So how can I go about getting this taken care of? You know, that's a very common question, and many old homes have asbestos, and I think the first thing to realize is steam heat. You have to generate the steam at the basement, and you want to keep the steam in the pipes as long as possible, at least enough till it gets up to the radiators. Once it gets to the radiators on the first and the second floor, at that point, you can let it condense back to water and run back 
down to the boiler to be reheated again. And if you didn't have that insulation on those pipes, that wouldn't happen. I've been in many homes that have had asbestos removed, and the basement is extraordinarily hot. And the second thing that happens is the heating costs go way up because you're wasting. Because you're running the heat way yeah, more. You're wasting all of that heat. Now, with the asbestos insulation, if it's still in good condition, if it doesn't seem like it's falling apart, do you really need to mess with it, or is that something that should just be removed all the time? Well, I think I would make that decision based on a couple of factors. First of all, if uh, that is a space that you're going to use on a regular basis, so there's going to be activity down there, family activity. Like how we use our basement. Yeah, yeah that's right. Of course, if it's going to be renovated, you're going to have a lot of movement and activity. You're going to have kids. Mm-hmm. You know, kids toss balls right inside the house. No matter how many times you tell your kids not to throw the ball in the house, they, they Wait, throw the ball in the house. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and if those toys or whatever, they can strike that asbestos insulation, the, the process of striking it, that impact could release fiber. So if it's an area that's going to be disturbed, that would, for me, be the decision point and that I want to remove it. Now, the second thing, though, is the condition. Now, if the condition is friable, that's the key word here, the key term used in asbestos is friable. It means deteriorated. Okay. So if you see that it's loose, it's deteriorated, it appears to be falling off Crumbling. the pipe. Crumbly. Regardless if whether you're using that space or not, I would definitely have it removed. And that's not something you can just pick up, put in a garbage pail, and put it out on the curb. You really need to get a pro in to remove this properly and dispose of it properly, right? Oh, absolutely. Because that asbestos fiber is actually finer than smoke. Mm -hmm. And so if you can imagine, it's going to float around in your air. And probably stay in the air. And stay in the air for weeks it, potentially, you don't want to release that up into the house. So when a professional asbestos mitigator comes in, the first thing they do is they cover all the surfaces so no fibers will stick there. Mm-hmm. And the second thing they do is depressurize the space so that you always have air that's being sucked out of it. So mm-hmm. if fibers do get in the air, it goes right that's outside. pumped out. And on the opposite end of the depressurization, they do all the cleaning work there. So there's always a good airflow right through. And that makes sure that when you take it out, it's completely out and gone. Mm-hmm. And then is there anything that she should be doing to insulate those pipes again once it's gone? Absolutely. And you can use fiberglass pipe insulation for just that. All right, Mary, good luck with that project. Just remember, call in a pro because you want to keep you and your family safe. Well, for most homes, curb appeal is critically important, but in this case, the home needed both curb and what I'll call river appeal. And the guy that delivered both is with us right now. It's Roger Cook, the landscaping contractor from TV's This Old House. Hey, Roger. Glad to be here again. How are you? Now, you had quite a challenge with this property. Why don't we start by talking about some of that er- the erosion issues that you had behind it? Well, before anything could happen on this site, we had to put up erosion control. And what that is, is a system to keep any of the fines or any of the construction debris from going downhill and here, ultimately ending up in the river. Okay. So what we use is a big tube. It's a big burlap tube, and it's filled with compost. You're used to seeing the hay bales and the black silt fence. Well, this is replacing it now, and it contours nicely in our our job. We had no room to work out back there, so everything was really tight. It went in fine. It did its job, and it kept Tommy away from it. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, this was just a temporary structure just during the construction process? That's right. Once everything is established as vegetation, they'll Mm re-inspect, and then they'll say, okay, you can take it down now. But the beauty of this stuff is... The burlap breaks down and it's just compost. So you don't have to pull anything out of the ground like oh, the hay bales or oh, okay, great nylon silk fence. You just go along and kick it around and it just benefits all the plants that are there. Sort of oh, spread it great. out. And, and, and speaking of the plants, now this is technically a floodplain, correct? Right. Parts of it are in the floodplain. So did that dictate the type of vegetation that you chose to plant? Um, we were 
anything outside of the floodplain, we could do what we wanted. Okay. But inside the floodplain, they made us do a little bit of restoration. And what we did is we planted some native plants. We planted Clethra alnipolia, which is uh, commonly known as spice bush. Mm -hmm. Okay. And sweet smelling in July and August, but a native plant. So we just filled in some native plants for them, and they were very happy with that. Now, being that you know you're doing a lot of this planting in essentially at the start of winter, mm. how concerned are you that everything is going to last, or is this really a good time to start a planting process? Um, remember that the plants are all dormant. Mm-hmm. There is no heat like in the summer. You know, there's plenty of moisture around so that plants can acclimate themselves. The couple things you have to worry about, the winter winds on evergreens, we will spray them with an anti-desiccant, which is a wax, which covers the needles. Oh, interesting. And it stops when the wind blows. It stops that moisture from being sucked out Does the that needles. sort of replace having to wrap them with exactly. a burlap that yeah, you yeah. see sometimes? It's a lot more attractive than Seriously. wrapping them with burlap. <laughs> but you'll see plants that aren't protected. They have a brown to them in the spring. It's actually a burn. We call mm-hmm. it winter burn. Oh, interesting. The other thing is that these plants, um, as long as the temperature ground temperature is about 40 degrees the root underneath the mulch so sometimes we'll put a real heavy layer of mulch on them to keep the ground from freezing and they'll develop root systems and then we'll pull the mulch off very interesting talking to roger cook he's the landscape contractor on this project and all of the others on tv's this old house now roger i always hate when i go to these new developments and the first thing the builders do is just blast off you know every start from scratch start from scratch (laughs) right now, you guys have done something completely different here. You've preserved as much as you can. But in the front, I understand that there was a tree that you couldn't preserve and you had to take it down. That must have been a bit tricky. It was. And we had to work with the town conservation and actually the tree warden for the town. And he was Is great. Is there such a thing? Tree yes, warden? Yeah. A tree yeah. warden. A tree warden. <laughs> okay. And you don't want to get on his bad side. Let me Seriously? tell you that. Yeah, he's worse in conservation. So you got to watch your step. Nice guy. Came out, met with us. We determined that the tree was a hazardous tree, meaning it had rot in the Mm -hmm. central trunk and it could come down during a storm. And it was up in the wires. It would have taken the whole neighborhood out. Oh, good Lord. So what we we had to do is we had to notify the neighbors we were going to take down the tree. And if anyone objected, then we would have to go to further hearings. But no one objected. And it's a great thing they're doing. If you cut down a tree, you have to replace it. Mm-hmm. Now, this tree was probably 14 or 16 inches through. That's a big tree. You can't replace it that way. But you can plant seven two-inch trees, and that's what we did. We planted two trees right out in front as part of our landscaping, and then five others through the neighborhood. Oh, Interesting. That's great. So you yeah. take out a 14, but you replace it with seven two-inch trees. There you so go. basically, you do the math, everybody's happy. It's same DBH, diameter right. at breast height. So you're ending up with, with a replacement for that tree. And it essentially. You're putting them in better spots and you're giving them better varieties mm-hmm. of trees than the old Norway maple we took out. Well, there's no replacement for you, Roger Cook, from TV's This Old House. <laughs> a gorgeous job you did to beautify this neighborhood. And thanks so much again for being on The Money Pit. My pleasure. Well, still ahead, making a home renovation into a TV show is not as easy as it looks. Believe me, I can tell you that from firsthand experience. But no matter what happens, the show must go on, as they say. Up next, we're going to talk to the series producer about the challenges of producing a show around a construction schedule and sticking to it. So stay tuned. Hey, they, they
All right, hold the work. No one works in the house. Next calls for picture. Here we go. Picture up, standing by. Speed, give me speed. And three, it's all for the Money Pit. And two, one, and action. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we're doing a very special show today on the set of the current This Old House renovation, a 1940s colonial revival along the banks of the Charles River in Auburndale, Massachusetts. Well, when it comes to old houses, we often get asked about peeling away the layers, whether it's wallpaper or paint. And I like to say that an old house is like an onion. The more layers you peel, the more tears are going to fall. But it doesn't smell nearly as bad. No, no, it's a different kind of scent. But the end result is, of course, worth it. Now, as far as the home improvements go, the ones that the This Old House team take on need to follow a production schedule. And often, that's much more important than the construction schedule. Bad weather or failure of materials to be delivered on time doesn't mean that the show gets postponed. Senior series producer Deb Hood has many renovations under her belt and joins us now. Hi, Deb. Hey, guys. And thanks for welcoming us back into uh, into your money pit today. <laughs> Always glad to have you. And uh, this is a beautiful transformation. Uh, we all know that when we renovate homes, there's a lot of changes that happen along the way. That must have a dramatic impact on your production schedule. Um, it does. We had intended originally for this to be a six-month job, mm-hmm. but we hit some problems right out of the gate that sort of set us back about four weeks in mm-hmm. the end. We had um, two weeks due to some asbestos. You know, we knew there was some, but it, this house just ended up being loaded with it and all kinds of unexpected places and then um, dealing with the lead paint reme- remediation you know altogether we probably lost about four weeks now how does that affect your delivery of episodes per schedule for the network we padded this um, a little bit so that we knew you know we always in case of overages mm-hmm. you know we um, we allow for that but in this case we're cutting it pretty close this, this show <laughs> this show's going to be on about you know five weeks after we're recording it now which is almost too close for comfort but we'll make a, it got a few gray hairs over this <laughs> yes definitely <laughs> now um, for those that would ever dream uh, of being chosen for this old house production. Um, How does that process work? What goes into it? How did you find this house? Well, people all throughout the year write us and contact us and we welcome that. Um, And so every year at this time, we open up a call for entries in the Boston area. And with this particular house, the architect saw the call and said, you know, I think I have the perfect project. She dropped us an email with some photos, a short description. And that's really all it takes. You know, we do look at those things. We went through it. You know, it was on a short list of maybe about 12 houses Mm -hmm. that we scouted this season. And it just clearly had the right combination. Well, I mean, it really, it's such a historical neighborhood for the Boston area and Mm -hmm. the house. I I mean, I feel like I'm just speaking so badly of its former life. It was terrible. Well, right. And especially in context, now that you see the neighborhood, the houses have so much character and charm. And this one just kind of didn't. You know, it was somebody had had wanted it to look the way it did, but it just was sort of a, you know, um, stark facade, you know, and bare so bones, bare bones. <laughs> right. And so it's come a long way. Now, as a serious producer, you spend more time here than almost anyone else. What are some of your favorites of this house? Uh, favorite spots, you mean? Yeah. I mean, the sunroom, really. I mean, that was sort of what it was all about was that this, ha- this house didn't open itself onto the sunroom. And when you came in, you just didn't know there was a river back there. And so really the way we've opened it up through, mm-hmm. you know, not only windows, but sight lines um, is, has been really dramatic. And the way that it transforms from the house to the neighborhood via the pergola and also the changing of the garage roof from flat to pitched, it really brings it all together visually, doesn't it? Absolutely. We think of that as sort of a curb appeal makeover out there that really a series of sort of small projects work together. And the same goes for the backside, the river view or the river appeal, if you will, with that decking 
really just enhanced the enjoyment for the family to have of the space itself, but also for the neighbors and people on the river to enjoy the home. Right. And to think there was no deck before, and now there are two, you know, a roof mm-hmm. deck. Almost and a that. tragedy with the view back there. Exactly. And now you've got sort of, you know, twice the outdoor space to enjoy it. Well, and you've left plenty of house here to enjoy. And I know that history is going to judge you very, very well. It's a beautiful area. It's a beautiful home. Congratulations on another phenomenal season of this old house. Thanks. It's been a good time. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Well, old houses are sometimes hard to keep warm in the winter, so HVAC expert Richard Trithui used several heating methods in this house, including hydronic and radiant. And we're going to hear from Richard in just a few minutes. Plus, we'll be taking your calls. The Money Pit on location at the latest. This old house renovation continues after this. Live in a Money Pit. Money Pit is brought to you by SnowblowersDirect.com. Thinking about getting a snowblower? Check out SnowblowersDirect.com's interactive buying guides, recommendations, and customer reviews. Snowblower experts are available to help you pick the perfect snowblower. Visit SnowblowersDirect.com. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we're coming to you today from the Boston suburbs. We're actually in Auburndale, Massachusetts, the site of the latest This Old House renovation. And the team here has done another amazing job. Yes, they have. But getting there, that's another story. And I'm sure the homeowners wondered if it was ever going to get done. You know, there were lots of surprises, especially for our next guest, the plumbing and heating expert, Richard Trith. Thuy on this project, including a battle with asbestos and a challenge on how to heat and cool this home effectively. Richard, welcome to the program. It sounds like quite an adventure. Glad to be back with you guys. It's always an adventure, though. (laughs) They always have too little space for us and not enough money. Right. And they say, we want to be heated and cooled perfectly. Oh, and and by the way, I'm going to have all these windows and be right on the water. We don't want to see anything. And well, uh, you know, we were talking as you just sat down here about the fact that you really can't see anything, and that's a that's a tragedy for those that are master contractors in this space because we don't see all your beautiful work, but we certainly feel it and we enjoy it. And the comfort, uh, beginning right here in this room, you've got a high velocity heating and cooling system here that is probably a twentieth of the size of the average duct that you would see in a house. Close, one tenth the size of traditional. All right, I was really? close. Close and. Uh, what it is, it's small sound attenuators. They're either two-inch inside diameter or two-and-a-half-inch, depending on the, the manufacturer. And we put one for every 60 to 80 square feet, so every 8 by 10 or 6 by 10 area. So a room like this has a couple in it. And with that, we can give the heating and cooling without having to see any big duct work. We don't need an individual return from every room. You don't see a radiator down at the floor. And properly done, you don't hear it. And the real breakthrough for us with this manufacturers, they came out with an ECM, electronically commutated motor, that we could really dial in the fan speed to match what we need. Get it just a, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, because like good ducks, children. You don't hear them. <laughs> them. Exactly. But the ducts are also very small, so I imagine that you can route them through walls and right. ceilings. And- this, this house was a challenge because it's a small house in scale, and, mm-hmm. and uh, 
So you don't want to lose every closet, and you don't want to mm -hmm. have to add soffits all the way around every room to try and get the duct work there. Yeah, so uh, it was a perfect solution for us. Well, speaking of challenges, another one that you had here was asbestos. Now, as a plumbing and heating expert, you must run into that all the time. What's your take on that? Should you remove it? Should you not remove it? I mean, how do you generally handle it? Well, if it's asbestos that's on a pipe that's not going to be moved, it can be encapsulated and you can just leave it there. It's only when you disturb it. You know, in our case, we had a boiler that was so covered and the boiler was bigger than my car. I mean, it was really, <laughs> it was a big thing and it had to get out of the way. So with that, we brought the asbestos people in. Once, once we started looking, the tile in the basement was all asbestos. There was so much of it done, and this was, I think, 1947 vintage. And a lot of everything was original. <clears throat> that was considered very modern construction. That's right. That's right. So uh, it's always better to be safe. I mean, uh, particularly as the houses get the modern houses get tighter, you really can't allow for potentially dangerous, friable, or you know, airborne particulates to get around like asbestos. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we cleaned it all up. Now, also, I mean, this home, it's unique because it sits practically right on top of the Charles River. Yeah. Was there any special accommodations that you need to make, you know, for how your equipment was used to, you know, avoid the event of a flood or any sort of situation where you might have to think around Well, those? we're above the floodplain with the building itself because of the windows, the, the river views. Mm-hmm. There's more, there's more windows in this house than most, and so because you really right. want to open up the entire outside. So every window, even a good performing window, means I have more heat loss to outside. Mm -hmm. So what I didn't want is anybody to be in a place where they felt uncomfortable. You know, I, I, I knew that we could keep up with the heat loss and the cooling loss with this high-velocity Unico system we did. But I also put floor warming. I put j just some radiant floor heating underneath the living room floor. That it's a beautiful room that's right on the, on the river. On the lowest level. Yeah. Right. Well, no, on the lowest and on the, the upper level, the and living that's room. hydronic radiant. That's right. And we did it underneath the kitchen so that, you know, as you're moving from those two spaces, that's what everybody's going to do on a cold day. Right. You're going to go from the kitchen and back to this TV room. You're literally walking on a warm plate. But it's not going to be a plate so warm that it's going to heat the room. It's just going to chase the chill off of the room and particularly keep your feet. And if you can have warm feet and a cool head you will always feel comfortable. Well, and you know what? They've got small kids in this house. Yeah. And having a two-and-a-half-year-old, we're on the floor all the That's time. Right. And in That's my right. old home, we're right. freezing on the right. floor. Yeah, I tell you, when I renovated my kitchen, my boys were babies. And it turned out to be the most elaborate dog fence. The radiant heat was just in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. There was none in the rest of the house. And so right. they'd be crawling around the kitchen floor, and they would hit the dining room floor, and they'd go, <laughs> oh, 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 it's too cold. <laughs> so we didn't need to put any gates up. <laughs> Well, Richard, as you go through a project like this, obviously there's a lot of changes that happen, and some of them happen during the middle of the project. You had quite a few of them here, and, and how do you handle those with the homeowners? There was a tight, tight budget. As I don't need any air conditioning, so we were only going to use the duct work for heating only. And we went through a stretch here of 100-and-something degree weather. And it's amazing how affordable air conditioning then seems. <laughs> <laughs> so they, all of a sudden there was indeed... Space in, the, space in the budget, yeah. yeah. And you also had uh, a bathroom that it had an expensive change order associated yeah. with it, too. Yeah, it was just going to be, we were just going to touch up this one bathroom. And then by the time we moved these two pipes, and then, oh, wait a minute. Now, there's also, now there's a pipe that's a horizontal drain pipe right in the middle of your walkway in the basement. Oh, wait a minute. Now, we're, we're trying to come from this room to that room. So you stop moving all the pipes. And by the time you do it, you just say, let's rip the bathroom up and do it again. And so, Four most expensive words in home improvement. While well, you're here. <laughs> while you're at it. Yeah, while you're, while you're at it. 
yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was. It was a. It's you know, but this this project represented very real life. It's a it's a reasonable scale building. It's a great young family, two kids. You know, it's a neighborhood that they loved, 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 and I think that's part of the celebration of it too. You know, they get into a neighborhood and just wanted to stay here. And then this became this gem that was fully covered. You never really realized that it was so beautifully situated on this river. You just kept peeling back the layers and, and found more and more and more. And this area has a lot of history to it, doesn't it, as well? Yeah, we had an interesting chance to visit the sort of the visit the Charles River, so to speak. Charles River is the famous river in Boston, which comes right down to and empties out down into the harbor, right near where the the Boston Sailing Center is and where mm-hmm. people sail and. Anything else, but at one time, you know, everybody that lived in these early suburbs, in the really right after the Revolution, who were in the 1780s and on, they used the river as their plumbing. It just terribly uh, poisonous, and so, and then all that would work its way down towards the city. And six hours a day, it was fabulous, and then it was this terrible swamp. And so we followed the history of how water was used to to run all the mills in the in the very first mill that was here that used water to run their textile things it was in Waltham Massachusetts and we followed that story and then we followed it down to really where the where the, when people come to Boston they see that place you know it's where everybody goes out sailing that sort of defines it mm-hmm. right near MIT and Harvard and and so we sort of followed the sort of history of the river because the river is now so clean it has made this fabulous sort of reinvestment in all the buildings that are along the river Well, Richard, I think history will reflect very positively on the work that you've done here in Auburndale. Thanks so much for inviting us into your money pit today, which, of course, has transformed into an amazing, an amazing house. Richard Trithui, thanks for stopping by the money pit. Always great to see you guys. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Up next, you know, the great thing about renovations is that just about when you're done, everyone wants to stop by for a visit. But sometimes that means even the neighborhood squirrels. We're going to have some tips on how to keep those guests out of your attic next. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home by calling 888-MONEY-PIT. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. We are coming to you today from the banks of the Charles River in Massachusetts, the site of the current This Old House renovation. And i got to say, if you've not seen this yet, head on over to their website, check out This Old House, and check out Ask This Old House, which is proudly sponsored by the National Association of Realtors. You know... As usual, the team really has just done an amazing job, and I can tell that the homeowners are beyond pleased. I mean, I love the house. I would move in tomorrow if it were on the market. It's gorgeous. So be sure to check out your local listings to catch the episodes of This Old House and Ask This Old House on PBS. And while you're online, head on over to moneypit.com, check out our new community section, and you can post your questions there. And I've got a question that Lynn posted saying, I just broke the window in my side door, but tomorrow night it's going down to 9 degrees. I was planning on replacing the door and the door frame in the spring, and it's not a project that I can accomplish tomorrow. Do you know of something that's relatively clear, like plexiglass that I can see through and also very strong that I can attach on both sides so it's both solid and better able to keep out the cold? I think that the plexiglass is a good solution. As you know, Leslie, not too long ago, my car was broken into on a family <laughs> vacation and actually made a car window out of plexiglass, out of plexiglass and to a get lot us of tape, through right? because... 
you know, you can't find a replacement window for a town and country <laughs> minivan. Right, on at, a moment's notice. On a moment's notice, exactly. So I actually crafted one out of plexiglass. And, you know, that's one of the nice things about plexiglass lens. So what I would do is this. First of all, I would cut two sides of the plexiglass, and I would essentially sandwich your door in between. Now, you can attach the plexiglass initially with silicone caulk. That will keep it nice and tight and weather-resistant, but it also adds some bolts through the plexiglass so that you're essentially squeezing it together through both sides of the frame, and of course, put the nut side on the inside of the property so that no one can usually break in with a screwdriver. Exactly. And I think that that's probably a good temporary fix. Now, I will say, you can actually buy replacement for those doors. I actually had that happened to me as well when a landscaper using like a weed whacker oh, had shot a stone shot up a stone into, this, into the glass. Yeah, we were able just to order the new glass and put it together. It wasn't really that complicated. Mm-hmm. So you may not want to put it off, especially if it's nine degrees in your neighborhood. All right, we've got another one here posted from AOL who writes, what is the best way to keep squirrels out of an attic? I just insulated my attic and a lot of the insulation has been torn out by squirrels. If I seal their hole, they just chew a new hole in the fascia board. I'm at my wits end. Yeah, but think of it positively. I mean, your squirrels are quite comfortable in that <laughs> attic you know they love the insulation too I mean, nice that's, and cozy that's a luxury vacation for them you know <laughs> but seriously if you want to keep them out of your attic there's a couple of things that you need to do first of all to uh, evict them you're going to have a hard time trying to get them not to come in because they're just going to chew new holes. So this is a trap and release process. I would use have a heart traps. And the key about using a have a heart trap is that you're going to put fruit in it. That's the best bait. And make sure you wire that fruit down, right? Right. Wire the fruit down. And then you want to take those traps and, of course, drive to a local park or, you know, miles and miles away to your house or maybe a neighbor you don't like and release the squirrel there. The other thing that you can do is if you want to see if they'll leave, you can use a one-way door, any hole that they've created. You simply use a flap of something that's clear like wire mesh so they kind of lift it up to get out but they can't get back in and that's a good way to solve it right and hopefully your uh, attic bed and breakfast will be unoccupied shortly (laughs) well the home that we are in is going to be occupied very shortly this is the final shoot day for the beautiful this old house renovation in auburndale massachusetts we want to thank the team at this old house for welcoming us here for their final shoot day and i think the wrap party is just about to begin you can check it out all on This Old House. Also take a look at Ask This Old House for lots of great home improvement information. And of course, you can check your local PBS listings to find out exactly when to watch it in your area. Coming up next week on The Money Pit, it's common and a potentially very expensive problem this time of year. Frozen pipes. We'll have tips on how to prevent them and how to deal with one if it's too late in your house. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.